everyone, and welcome. This is episode 262 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined by the whole gang again, Ryan and Paul, and uh, we're, we're fighting through technical difficulties and puking kids and everything else. All kinds else. of bad. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'll just skip the, the how are you doing this week because <laughs> I feel like I yeah. know your answer, Paul. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> it it's You know the answer. Everything sucks. Uh, Everything sucks. Yep. Yep. So, uh, you know, we we just wanted to get together. We're doing this a little bit earlier than normal on a Sunday, uh, Sunday afternoon, just to kind of recap uh, some of the Brewers news that happened in the last week, because it was a, a busy week in terms of transactions. We've got a trade to talk about. So. We'll get to all that in a minute and your Patreon questions. But first, if you'd like to help support us, you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. That gets you the question priority both on this podcast and on Paul's reporting as eligible Packers podcast. Five bucks a month gets you that plus the exclusive podcast, the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson, as well as Paul's mini pods. So, uh, yeah, kind of struggling through the week here the packers sucked on thursday night so yep. uh we got nothing else to do on a sunday afternoon but talk some we do not. Baseball. so um i guess let's just get right to it so we kind of previewed some of this last week with kurt hogue when he stepped in for paul uh thank you thank you again to kurt for that it was a super insightful episode um but we had the 40-man roster deadline we had the tender non-tender deadline so uh, let's just start with the 40-man ads. So as we sort of expected, Bryce Terang and Abner Uribe were added to that 40-man roster. We talked a lot about those guys and how they may fit in um, in last week's episode. But then they also uh, added a couple other names that might be a surprise. They added reliever Cam Robinson as well. We kind of touched on him as a guy that uh, would be one to look out mm-hmm. for and the Brewers really liked and would even maybe be one of one of those rule five picks from somebody uh, had he not been protected. And then I think the surprise for everybody was, uh, you know, former uh, top prospect, fallen top prospect, John Singleton uh, added to the 40 man roster after putting together a solid year in triple a. So the Brewers have another first baseman and yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll see how he fits in or if he's going to survive the winter on the 40 man roster. But I guess, Paul, let's start with you. Um, surprised that they added john singleton to that roster. yeah uh, that's a big surprise first of all because he doesn't really fit in terms of platoon splits wise but more than anything like first he, he, older first baseman is just a weird way to go here um <laughs> it, it's a place they like to throw spaghetti at the wall i guess that's what this is um but i i think nobody saw this coming and it takes up a spot that you might be able to use on somebody else who becomes available that is potentially better. So I, I, I was very surprised to see that. I don't know. It, it was a weird, weird decision. Yeah, I think it's a probably a temporary one, as James sort of hinted at probably, there. That's the most logical thing is that it's temporary. <laughs> well, and also just because they're nowhere near the number right now after having let some of these other guys go that were on the 40-man roster, that like when they kept Singleton, that only put them at 39 on the 40. And now they, they took four or four more guys off the 40 since then. So they're at like 35 now. So they just, I think, looked at it and said, we might as well hold on to him for right now and see if 
you know, depending on what other moves they make, how else things shake out, that maybe he could potentially be a guy that uh, that survives through the winter. But I wouldn't really bet on it at this point. So I, I think they just had very little to lose by doing so. Yeah, I think it's kind of surprising because he's definitely seems at least redundant when it comes to, you know, looking at Rowdy and some of their era and, and, you know, like a lot of the other bat only guys that you could stick at first base or DH. Um, You know, we we had Matt Arnold kind of speculating on where John Singleton might fit, which I was very happy to see that he's continuing the David Stern's tradition of, you know, talking about a future fit for a guy who's clearly not going to be there in two months, but Hey, at least there's a thought process there in case he is. <laughs> um, so I don't know. He, he's still kind of interesting because you know, the talent's always kind of been there. It's just getting that out of him. Right. Um, and, and seeing if he can put together some semblance of a, a big league career, but um, I guess we'll see if he stays on the roster because also, you know, we had the non-tender deadline and, a bunch of guys like him were also just non-tendered and maybe better yeah. than him. And, you know, the Dom Smiths of the world are out there. So, exactly. you know, the, um, so we'll see, you know, if the birds get in on any of those guys, but uh, still, yeah, kind of not the name I expected to see, especially when we had all of those names that we talked about with Kurt last week. But um I think obviously, you know, Terang's the big one we talked about and where he may fit in the super utility role, Abner Rebe, as the guy that Mark Adonacio was clearly told about but couldn't remember his name. That was a fun story. Um, <laughs> he throws 100. That's all, all you need to know. Um, so definitely good to see those guys protected. But I, on the other hand, too, this week, we had a lot of arbitration decisions that had to be made. As we mentioned last week with Kurt, 18 <laughs> calls had to be made before that deadline, which is an absurd number. I can't remember the last time I've seen one that high for a single team, and it was the most in the league. A lot of those were no-brainers, as we kind of talked about in recent weeks, but they did make some interesting decisions along the way, and we definitely have questions about that. So let's just start with the summary. Tendered contracts were Willie Adamas, Mike Brasso, Vic Caratini, Keston Hira, Hunter Redfro, Rowdy Telez, Luis Urias, and of course, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Hobie Milner, Eric Lauer, Devin Williams, also tendered. Two others agreed to contracts, uh, presumably before they were non-tendered. Matt Bush and Adrian Hauser back on one-year deals. Bush for about $1.85 million, Hauser for about $3.6 uh, roughly right at where they were projected or a little bit below in Matt Bush's case. And then we had the non-tenders, Trevor Gott, Luis Perdomo, Yandal Gustave. Not a lot of surprises there based on what we talked about. But, of course, the big news was that they waived Brent Suter as opposed to just non-tendering him. They said it gave uh, him an opportunity to get that money elsewhere. He was claimed by Colorado, so he didn't make it very far through the waiver order before he was claimed. And he ended up getting $3 million from the Rockies as well. So I guess let's just start. I know, Paul, when we did these, you know, tender, non-tender things, we talked quite a bit about whether it was worth it to keep Suter for the performance, but maybe it was for some of the other things. And and we do have a Patreon question, so I'll just let you're either a smart fella or a fart smella pose this question. <laughs> uh, it could be argued that Suter was not worth the $3.1 million strictly on his field play, but does it seem like the Brewers cheaped out a little in not bringing him back when considering his clubhouse presence and value to team culture? Is losing value provided 
via a clubhouse and culture related method overrated and nothing that simply playing winning baseball can't solve. So I guess, Paul, <laughs> uh, let's take it away with you first. I think the most important thing to remember is we don't actually know what effect Brent Suter has in the clubhouse itself. Like Brent Suter is the guy that the team brings out because fans like him and he's a character and by all accounts, he's a fine teammate, but uh, I'm not sure he is um, a necessarily the rally around it guy that he is necessarily portrayed to be, especially given just the, the sheer turnover this team has. Like Brent Suter is not necessarily everybody's friend at all. He, he, he might be, he might rip some people the wrong way. Some people might find him annoying. <laughs> um, like, like some people find Tim Dillard annoying. Like it, it's a, we're assuming a lot when we assume that Suter is worth a lot of money for keeping the clubhouse in check. And if you are paying for that, you certainly didn't get value on it last year after the hater trade. Um, it uh, d- didn't work. So um, I, I, I think the Brewers probably kind of along my lines and take a skeptical look at the value that something like that provides if you're not also providing on-field value. Suter's a fine pitcher. He's okay. He's not bad to have on your team. But he's not great. His stuff has always been kind of weird. He gets beat up in the playoffs by, like, the Dodgers. And um, I'm uh, – we, we – we said he was a likely non-tender candidate, and I, I don't think that they're underrating chemistry here. I just think um, it, performance is number one. Uh, you can find chemistry guys that are actually good at baseball. Um, they, they come through your clubhouse routinely when you add in some track new players, and you can't keep a guy around just because he's funsies for everybody. Yeah, I think that's pretty much uh, right down the line with what I'm thinking on this. You have to remember that a guy who puts up the kind of performance he did this last year, those guys you can generally find for, if not league minimum, maybe slightly above. You can get those guys for, you know, a million, a million two, something like that to put up that sort of performance. And I think they have a lot of guys and maybe where we're underrating this, that they have a lot of guys that they kind of want to run through and see and give chances to. And we can talk about that as we go. But there's going to be a number of new faces in this bullpen and guys who are going to get expanded roles off of what they had last year. Guys who are around like Strzelecki and Cousins and maybe Topa who are going to have expanded roles going forward. And I think that they just sort of ran their course with Suter here and decided that at this point it just wasn't worth that extra, you know, million bucks and the roster spot. The guaranteed... You know, he has to be on the roster. You can't really fool around with him. I don't believe he had options, and I don't think you'd option him anyway. Like, that's it's a weird situation. So I think it was just sort of time for him to go. And again, we should point out here, Brent Suter has been a tremendously underrated pitcher for the Brewers. Yes, all true. Yes. Like a, a, a 120 OPS plus, or sorry, ERA plus in his career. He's been 20% better than league average at preventing runs in his career. And that is really, really good. For a guy that throws in the mid-80s and who is kind of gets by on funk and guile and weirdness, like that, it's a tremendous job. And yes, there's a shelf life on that, and he is 33 now. And so that isn't going to last forever. I hope he's able to do it. I really, uh, of all the places he could have gone to, Colorado just, you know, that sucks. I, <laughs> I feel bad. Man. Yeah, no. I feel bad for him on that front. But I think this was a one of those things. You have to make cold calculated decisions in this business. And I think this is one of those times that they needed to do that. Yeah, I mean, especially when you have 
18 arbitration things to mm-hmm. decide. Exactly. There's yeah. going to be some of those tough calls. And, you know, Matt Arnold <clears throat> definitely called it a, a tough conversation. And I don't know if, if you give the Brewers kudos for just waving him right before the deadline. So somebody else is willing to pay that or, if you know, so then he doesn't have to try to stand out in a free agent class or not. But this is also the second time that they've done that, which is kind of interesting. They waived Brad Boxberger before just declining his option and nobody picked him up. And I don't know. That seems to be uh, something I can't remember happening as opposed to like a straight yes or no decision on those guys. But uh, I don't know. Maybe they're just letting guys hang on. You know, it's like cutting a veteran early so they can hang on somewhere else. Um, All right. There is one more Patreon question about Brent Suter comes from Adam Post asking, what's your favorite Brent Suter Brewers memory? I really enjoyed him in the Mean Girls parody. So, yes, we're going to lose the the quirky movie parody Brent Suter and and the weird dinosaur faces and all that stuff. But, uh, Paul, do you have a favorite Brent Suter memory? I have to confess, I really don't. I, I don't pay attention to the, the Raptor thing and don't it does not stick with me at all i can't name a single fun brent suter memory um at all so um and even his pitching like i know he's generally pitched well i know he he generally does his job fine he's good as a long man he's been very versatile for the team but i mostly remember him getting beaten and completely shellacked by the dodgers in the playoffs and uh that's sort of my one lasting memory of brent suter so yeah so I have a couple different answers to this. As far as like funny things, it was actually the recent one with the uh, the signal down to the bullpen uh, where yeah. Council put his arms up in the DeLorean pose, I guess. Yeah, yeah. The, the people called it the Raptor, but I, he was trying to signal like the DeLorean thing because I guess he has a car yeah. in that vein. So there is that. Of course he does. Yeah. And then uh, also. I really remember in 2019 him coming back and this isn't a specific thing, but like when he came back from the Tommy John, he came back faster than most guys do. And he was so good down the stretch. He was huge in them going on that run into the playoffs in 2019 when they had to win so much down the stretch just to get in. I think he even won reliever of the month that month. Didn't I think he like, did. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was incredible. It was like a 0.90 array or something like that. So. Yeah, he was absolutely phenomenal when he came back from that. And it's just so weird because you, you're you like, wow, he's back in like, a, basically it was like one year. It was almost exactly one year. And that is rare for guys to like be back pitching in the big leagues that fast. And then you yeah. see like how effective he was. It was kind of mind boggling. Um, but the, I think the thing that I remember most is people talking about how he was sort of the the lead guy in like keeping people together and doing things as a team during the the pandemic season when they were playing like and they were waiting out i think it was like a rain delay in pittsburgh cuz obviously there was a rain delay in pittsburgh and the stadium's empty and uh he's sitting up there under the concourse with like three or four players and they're all sitting kind of spaced out and they're just talking and people like saw this and saw that like, oh, yeah, he's part of this group that's up there just sitting and and hanging out. And they talked about the fact that he was so instrumental in like holding them together during that time period and just keeping like communication open and all of that stuff. And I think it's those sorts of things that we only ever get glimpses of. We can't really know. We don't know how players react to him. Like we Paul said, yeah. we don't know exactly how that works, yeah. but 
from what we can tell, it it does seem like there was something genuine there. Um, and he definitely is, you know, a thoughtful person. And uh, he's the reason we had it, some people are going to hate this, but the reason we had pla- uh, the uh, plastic straws went away and we had the the uh, paper straws for a couple yeah. seasons there at the park. Like there is a lot going on here. And somebody asked me, I was talking with actually a coworker when this news came out. And he's like, yeah, so do you think he's going to go into coaching? Do you think he's going to go into, like, maybe being a front office guy? And I'm like, yeah, he could do any of that that he wanted to, but he could also just, like, run for Congress or something. So there's <laughs> right. there's lots of different ways this could go for him. I think my favorite go with the funny thing, but the, the best video I think they did was, um, well, aside from the Back to the Future thing where he played uh, – Doc Brown, yeah. Doc Brown roll. <laughs> and it, it was his fastball that was the 88 miles an hour or whatever. Mm-hmm. That was great. Also, him as Jim Carrey with Jeremy Jeffress doing the Dumb and Dumber stuff. That was good. But actually, one of my favorite on-field things, too, and patron Price Trozen mentioned this in, in the call for questions as well, with the YouTube link attached, uh, when he took Corey Kluber deep, <laughs> In an interleague game, and this is like peak Corey Kluber too, right off a of Cy Young, uh, and it was a moonshot, like literally right off the batter's eye in dead center field. It was amazing, and the reaction for that. So um, that was a cool moment too. Uh, definitely don't get to see that anymore with the DHs, but uh, probably one of more, one of my more memorable Brent Suter moments for sure. All right, uh, moving on. Before we move on to. Um, other things, rumors and, and trades and such, I guess let's wrap up the whole arbitration decision. Any other thoughts on the decisions there or who to, who they brought back? Ryan, I know you were really convinced that they would end up bringing back Matt Bush. And, and in fact, they did. Yeah, I think that maybe the most notable thing here is that they decided to bring back so many players. I when I did my final yeah. predictions, I said that I thought it was going to be. Uh, they were going to non-tender six guys, and I had the three guys that they did end up non-tendering were on that list, but I also had Rowdy and Caratini and maybe Mike Brousseau. Yeah, it was Mike Brousseau, and I originally also had Brent Suter on there and then took him off based on what Kurt said last week, which was like <laughs> he just thought yeah. it would be you know weird for that to happen, so I, I at the last second I kind of took him off, but then we could consider him a non-tender. For the purposes of this, we could consider yeah. him a non-tender, but yeah, like uh, the fact that they brought back so many players and I'll, I'll get into why I think that's so important a little bit later, but I, I think that that was really telling. And also just the fact that like they brought back all the, the starting pitchers, they didn't want to cut from that, that starting pitching depth, at least not yet, not until they can, can make some other moves and do some other things. And I think that speaks to sort of where they're at as a club right now. So, but I want to, I want to get into that a little bit later more. Sure. I guess yeah. I'm kind of surprised that Keston Hira was a, a tender, but, you know, we've also floated the idea of the tender and trade for him too, right? right. Maybe not, not time to give up on him quite yet, right, Paul? <laughs> yeah, I was surprised by that as well. That was the one I was going to say, but if they, if they could still find value for him and he's coming off a, a season where he hit actually pretty well, that's worth doing. So he, he kind of earned it, I suppose. I guess I'm a little – this is not a non-tender thing, but I'm a little surprised that Hauser's actually still on the team. I – uh, that was sort of one of my dark horse candidates to not be a brewer next year. And, um, you know, they, 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 they he is back. Um, yeah, not that way, but uh, I, I'm a little surprised by that given, uh, you know, still a useful starting pitcher, but given a pretty weird down year from him, I thought they might start to look elsewhere there. 
yeah, I mean, they got him at the 3.6, the exact projection Which is number. squad, so yeah, that's yeah. fine. And if it goes well, if things work well with him, we've seen him just in 2021 put up a, you know, a well, well above average uh, ERA plus, so well above average run prevention. Yes, the defense, he's very defense dependent, and we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but yeah, it's, it is interesting, but I think ultimately we talked about this, like, it was going to be hard to get rid of uh, too many starting pitchers and maintain or improve the depth from what they had last year. So right. they they kind of were locked into that. And that $3.6 million wasn't going to go as far as Adrian Hauser on the open market. Like, that's that's just flat out. Like, you wouldn't have gotten more for him or more for that money than him. You would have ended up with somebody lesser than him, for sure, at least on paper. Yeah. Right. All right. Next Patreon question comes from Price Trozen and, and kind of refers to someone we talked about last week, Colton Wong, who the Brewers picked up their option for. But in the last week, we had a trade rumor saying the Mariners were allegedly asking about Colton Wong. So uh, Price's question here, does Seattle have any major league ready pieces that the Brewers would want or could use in this trade scenario? Uh, Ryan, what do the Mariners have that could be useful for the Brewers if they were to pursue this? Well, less than they had before, because what they've really been doing here is, I don't know if you realize, they've been very, very active early on here. And that's it goes right in with, you know, trader Jerry DePoto's MO. Like, nobody likes to swing trades like Jerry DePoto. And uh, so they've already made a bunch of moves and they've dealt from their main area of depth, which was their bullpen depth. So they've already cut some of that out from what they had before. Um, and so I'm not exactly sure where you're going to like what sort of moves you're going to make here. Like they traded. Uh, was it Adam? Uh, Adam Mako and Eric Swanson already yep. to get Teoscar Hernandez. Yep. Like so they've already sort of cut out some of that depth that they had. Um but yeah, it, it, it's worth exploring and worth looking at because you are looking at him on a one-year deal. And I think that if Seattle offered you something that allowed your roster to overall improve, I'd be happy to do it. It's just, mm -hmm. it's going to be somewhat difficult to do that when they're also trying to, both teams are trying to contend. So those trades get a little tricky because, especially if you're trying to deal like major leaguer for major leaguer, that usually is like it's very difficult yeah. to do when you have two teams that are both trying to win. Yeah, it's so rare that that actually comes to fruition. It's just probably not going to happen. No, uh, my my dream was that they flipped Teoscar for Colton Wong, but that's not going to happen <laughs> either. Um, yeah, you're you're more likely to get like Jared Kellenick reclamation project or something like that for yeah, for yep, Colton exactly. Wong. I mean, if oh. you could do that, I would do cartwheels because I think that there's still, you know, a, a real chance that he is good. I don't think you could get Jared Kelnick for Colton Wong. I don't, I, no. I don't think they would do that. I would be really surprised. And if they did, I would really worry that they are just convinced that he is broken and is never going to be fixable. So yeah, like I, that one, that would really surprise me. But if, Hey, if they did it, like bring it on. <laughs> Sure. It'd at least be interesting. Yes. I'd rather would. be bad and interesting than just bad and boring. <laughs> all right. Uh, so all those moves, uh, add them all up. 
Kurt Hogue, our friend, notes that the Brewers right now are looking at about a payroll of about $123 million on opening day. That's between all the guaranteed deals, the remaining arbitration estimates from MLB trade rumors, and the league minimum players. So that leads us to our next Patreon question. It comes from PJ Wessels saying, quote, so um, what's the plan here? Is there a plan for this offseason? Uh Paul, you just shook your head, so I don't know. Uh, that was in jest. Um, okay. I'm sure there is a plan, uh, and they're clearly. Uh, it, it, Ryan alluded to this earlier, but they're clearly confident in the baseline that most of their roster from last year provides. Um, whatever they have internally on metrics um, is showing them that you know that is a reliable playoff contender-ish um, talent level. And that they probably just need to tweak rather than do a whole teardown or a whole, you know, change everything over um, kind of offseason. So um, that's probably what the plan is. Bring everybody back and then they'll probably fill a couple of holes. And I'm, I don't know if they'll go go super big on anybody, any stars. Probably not. 123 is big for them. But uh, I, that's my guess. I'm guessing that they will probably bring in one or two guys you know or guys that we all think might be good in the future that are reclamation it'll probably look like a lot of brewer off seasons to be perfectly honest uh <laughs> it's just a matter of who hunter renfro is going to be this year <laughs> yeah that is a uh that is kind of the question there i think yeah you've talked about it i've i alluded to it earlier i think that the way you phrase that is perfect they've sort of already assembled their floor here like they have every position covered in a credible way going into next year they have a six-man rotation they have a a, a a lot of good bullpen arms uh they have really like the the sketchiest position they have is catcher where they start with victor caratini who's a very very good defender and uh the kind of guy that you don't worry about like defensively that way and they already added peyton henry who should also be at least good defensively once he's working with the Brewers and all that again his his numbers in the, his brief stint in the major leagues last year defensively were not great but I wouldn't read much into that I the Brewers know yeah. him because he's been on that in their system forever they brought him back for a reason so like they basically have the the sort of buy-in they need all over the diamond at every position and now they can basically say look we're going to look to make moves that improve us. We don't have to do anything. They don't have to make a bad deal. They don't have to make a bad signing. What they're in a position to do now is to take advantage of other teams in bad positions, other teams that need something. They're in a position to be able to really attack like, like inefficiencies this offseason. I know people hate that. And it's boring, but like this is Even a position you want to be in. Like, honestly, even I kind of hate it. Like I, I did not have a fun season of Brewer baseball last year, and I'm not even saying it's necessarily what I would prefer that they do, but it is mathematically a pretty sound idea. Like this team barely missed the playoffs and um, they were, I think a, a few, not lucky breaks, but um, you know, a yellowish average season away from still contending for the division. So it's, um, it's, it's not a, it's not a stupid thing. The Brewers are rarely stupid. It, it might not, be great and entertaining it might be kind of boring but it's it's not a bad idea and it probably does beat the total tear down and rebuild which, which is what you would likely get otherwise 
Yeah, and I want to be clear here. I'm not saying that they're not going to do things. I think they are going yeah. to do things. What I'm saying is that they don't have to do things. They don't have things that like absolutely must have to be done here because they already sort of have what they need to be able to start the season. So they right. can go after where they think good moves are. If Josh Bell, you know, if the market for him doesn't emerge, and we talked about this last week with Kurt, Paul, uh, yep. like if the market for him doesn't emerge and he ends up getting what, say, you know, was projected. I don't know if you saw this, but the projection on fan graphs by Ben Clemens was two years, nine million a year. So 18 million over two years. If that actually were to come to fruition, if that was the market, they would be able to do that. Like they could yes, they would. jump right in and take advantage of that and then reshuffle their roster and re remove things around and, and to accommodate those sorts of things. So they're in a position now that's kind of enviable where they don't have to do things. They can just attack where value is. And that's a good spot to be in as a team because you don't want to be sort of chasing your tail and having to like fix things. Uh, it, it's nice to not have to do that. And yes, they, they probably do need to upgrade at catcher. Like that's, it would be like my number one sort of circled thing here is they have a minimum buy-in at catcher, but you'd really much prefer to see Caratini as the number two and Peyton Henry as the number three than those guys as one and two. But they could theoretically do it if nothing else emerged. Sure. And when you say like they don't have to do something before, you know, Twitter freaks out as long as Twitter's still around, um, <laughs> it, it's more like... They're, they're not going to be forced into a desperation move or <laughs> overpay for something, right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that kind of <laughs> goes toward the, the question of what's exactly the plan, because when you're looking at the outside, it it, it, it could the plan could conceivably look like, well, do nothing, right? But it, it's more like you don't have to do something that you don't want to. And then that's where like mistakes compound on top of each mm -hmm. other. And that's what really gets dangerous for a team like the Brewers. What will make me happy is if they make some offseason move that sort of acknowledges or lets us all know that they understand that Yelich is cooked and that they can't just rely on a bounce back from him coming back, that they actually need to add some level of impact, um, you know, bats above and beyond some averagey bats um, to actually make this offense work better. Sure. Uh, we'll see what it is. Uh, but so far, it looks like the Brewers have addressed pitching. So as we move on here, we, we had our second trade of the Matt Arnold era in this past week, Peyton Henry, of course, was the first, as Ryan mentioned. So they were one of the teams to take advantage of the Tampa Bay Rays 40-man roster crunch, and they acquired <laughs> reliever Javi Guerra for a player to be named later. And uh, based on what they said after the trade, he looks like someone the Brewers might actually be high on as a possible late-inning option. Uh, very interesting player, converted infielder very recently, right? Like as recently mm -hmm. as like 2019 or something, he was still playing infield, but... Uh, can throw it in the upper 90s, has a decent slider, so uh, there might be stuff to work with. So we've got a few questions on this trade here. First one comes from Mark Podscarby asking, David Stern's first move was acquiring Jay Guerra. One of Matt Arnold's first moves is to acquire Jay Guerra. <laughs> Will Matt Arnold's version of this be move be as successful as the Stern's version, of course? finding Junior Guerra, who ended up being a decent starter for them, even an opening day starter off the scrap heap. So, uh, Paul... <laughs> opening day starter is the worst <laughs> thing that you can be... Like, Brewer, a former yeah. opening day starter, is like intercontinental champion. Like, doesn't matter at all. 
Wow. Wow. Not even I don't know my wrestling. That might actually matter a lot, but eh, I think that's the no, sub belt. You're fine. So. You're fine. These okay. Days. So, yeah, I guess aside from being the intercontinental champion, your thoughts on uh, Javi Guerra and where you might fit in, Paul? Um, I'm going to say what everybody said about this, which is it seems like a good good acquisition. It seems like they're getting good value here because he seems to have excellent upside just with Velo and um, pitches look like they're plus. Uh, he looks like he could potentially be a dominant late inning reliever. And if he's not, he'll probably be a solid mid-in- middle reliever. And that is the Brewer profile on relievers to a T. Um, especially, I, I feel like they do kind of like converts. Um, I think maybe they see some untapped upside when that does happen. And they, they're pretty good about trying to catch it these days. So I, I think they did well here. And I think that he'll be a good bullpen addition. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to set the bar too high here. I think that we're going to get to that in these coming questions. I think that what you're looking at is a guy that they traded a player to be named later for. And so, yeah, this could work like this could he might be. And it's exactly the kind of move you want to make. You take advantage of the Rays roster uh, crunch because they always have a roster crunch. And hopefully we get to the point where we always have a roster crunch, too. We're not there yet, but maybe we're headed in that direction. Uh, And you would you would like to be in that position. But I don't know that I'm going to invest anything in particular in him. I just think he's another body to throw at this uh, thing and see what sticks. Like, mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of what the bullpen is. In in I think that there are some limitations here. He doesn't have an option. That was part of why the Rays let him go was he didn't right. have an option. So yep. you're going to have to carry him out of camp and all the way through, or potentially try to sneak him through waivers at some point, which maybe. Maybe you can do that, but that's going to be tricky. And yeah, but but there is untapped upside here, especially for a guy who's 27. He's going to be playing in his age 27 season next year. There's upside here because he, of the recent conversion to the mound and the fact that there's still things that are being worked on. And the fact that the Rays went out and got him last year tells you kind of all you need to know that like the, there are definitely things here, characteristics here that are you want to work with and so the fact that the brewers kind of picked up over what the the rays had to sort of leave behind because of their roster crunch is a good sign and it's fine but i wouldn't invest anything in particular in him i think that it's more like here's another body to throw at the 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 problem basically Sure. And the Rays have definitely over the years shown an an ability, right, to kind of pick up these random guys, but they identify one thing that that random guy does really, really well, and they can turn that into value. And, you know, Matt Arnold also came from that front office, that line of thinking. So um, maybe not too surprising to see him, you know, jump at somebody like Javi Guerra where you see the big fastball velocity and you're like, if we can get that slider to work, look out. Yeah. So, um, all right. Jay Kugel also asking about Guerra's asking do the brewers hold a record for Guerra's on an all-time <laughs> roster. Can Javi, uh, help the back end of the bullpen. We already kind of touched on that. Arnold thinks they have a lot of back of the end bullpen arms. Do they? And shout out to Steve, because we're talking bullpen arms. So, <laughs> um, you know, this is the challenge, right, Paul, of trying to replace Josh Hader in an offseason. Then you, you try to stockpile as many maybe options as possible and see what sticks. But um, h- how do you feel about maybe Guerra fitting into that and, and some of the other arms they may try in that role? 
Uh, I, I apologize, James. I was I was counting Garas on other teams oh, while no. you were doing. <laughs> well, there's is there Dialis Garas? There's Dialis. Yes, there's Dialis Gera. Um, I think the answer is yes. By the way, there, there's uh, Mike Gera played in the 30s, and I don't think his teams exist anymore. And then uh, we have Marcelino Gera from the early 20s. Same kind of deal. So I think it's just. Uh, Javi Jr. and Dialis in the modern era, so the Brewers do in fact win that. So, uh, so sorry, sorry, I was I was answering question one. Well, question two is being <laughs> okay. asked. No, that that that's helpful to know. Uh, okay, so Ryan, <laughs> uh, what do you think about their back of the bullpen arms? I know we even talked about you know like Kurt brought up Peter Strzelecki as a guy who uh, could fit mm-hmm. into maybe that eighth inning role, and you know some of these moves might indicate they feel that way. Yeah, I think that it's important to point out here, we're not talking about replacing Josh Hader. Devin Williams replaced Josh Hader. And sure, you're backfilling. Right. What you're doing is you're backfilling. And so you're trying to find somebody to replace Devin Williams. And that's not easy. Uh, But it is, you know, at least a little bit easier than trying to replace at least the the long term production of Hader than, you know, what like you're you're looking at in terms of the short term. Uh, I think that what they are going to do here is what they always do, which is sift through the arms and see who who works. But I would add to the list of people that you've mentioned. So with Strzlecki and we've talked about Cousins, we talked about Topa, like guys like that who had some injury issues this year and and weren't able to be as on the roster as you would have liked and probably you know, materially hurt them. Uh, besides that, I think that the name people need to start getting ready for is Abdur Uribe. And I think we really need to like prepare ourselves for the the strong possibility that he is not only like on the roster very early next year, maybe not right away, but fairly early, but fairly good, fairly fast, based on what people who saw him in the Arizona Fall League have all said, because he was one of the pitchers uh, in terms of like the talk of that league this year. He was one of the guys that got the most mentions. And I know Longenhagen thinks that he is, if not ready to like dominate big leaguers, he's ready to face them like right now and like get them out. So I think that like I would I would bet more on Abner Uribe than I would bet on Javi Guerra. You know, like I would definitely put more on <laughs> Uribe there than I would on Guerra. And but the the whole thing here is to add as many people as possible to bring in to give yourselves the depth because to get through a big league season, you're going to need, you know, a bunch of relievers. You, it, this isn't about one or two guys. This is about having, you know, a real depth to your roster and being able to turn to a bunch of different guys over time. And I think that's what they're setting up here. Not something about like, you know, Gara being the guy to replace, you know, whatever. For sure. One more Javi Guerra question. This one actually comes from Twitter. It comes from Indy75 at LoganI54 on Twitter asking or saying, I've seen a few takes regarding Javi Guerra's four-seamer and want the opinion of the group regarding that pitch. Personally, I think slider location might be a bigger factor or offer more room for improvement. Also, what are your initial impressions of Guerra and is it overly, optimally, overly optimistic to think he can be a high leverage guy off the bat or just by mid-May. So we kind of touched on that, but 
um ryan let's just start with you like the stuff he's clearly just a a two-pitch guy at least according to you know the stat cast numbers and there's limited data on him because he's new to pitching but um obviously ranks really high when it comes to fastball velocity but maybe not as much as spin rate which is kind of interesting to me given the brewers like their spin rate guys like peter striz lucky um so i guess what's what's the key for javi guerra and what would decide or kind of be the make or break factor for him to kind of take that leap yeah i'm not even really sure i think that from the perspective of like what they see in him it it doesn't jump off the page on Statcast. I'm not seeing it when I looked at this earlier because that's where I went even before I saw the the question was I was looking at the Statcast trying to sort of decipher what was going on here and I don't see anything that really jumps off the page. He does throw hard, but his his rate of missing bats is nothing exceptional, and so I'm not sure exactly how much to uh, to buy in here that. It's something obvious. Like sometimes you see these guys and you go, okay, this is obvious what's going on here. Like the the pitch characteristics or whatever. Like you said, of the spin rate is a huge part of this. And his spin rate is 36th percentile. So it, that's nothing exceptional. The, vol- the fastball velocity is 95th percentile. That is exceptional. But I'm not seeing the rest of it on here. And uh, they started, Savant has started doing uh, extension as well, which sort of yeah. gets into more about like uh how uh, how guys are are at um creating deception i think is the main right. the main deal there and he's 10th percentile in that and they have been the brewers have been sort of one of the leaders in terms of really playing on deception josh hader is a deception guy is a deception guy uh, but Brent Suter, also a big deception guy. Like that's that is part of what they do is they're trying to hide the ball as long as possible so that the effective velocity is more than the actual velocity, right? So I nothing here particularly jumps out at me. Um, but obviously there's a reason that they're interested in him, and it goes beyond what uh, what my you know, meager powers of uh, deduction are in this case. If he shows up with a uh, shoulder length hair, we'll know the answer. <laughs> there we go start growing uh plenty of off season left for, to do that so um yeah th- that'll wrap up the the javi guerra portion of this podcast a lot more than i ever anticipated talking about javi guerra but hey it's the early stage of the off season and we got to talk about something right so um it'll definitely be interesting to see ryan i think i'm with you that it wouldn't surprise me to see you know abner uribe have a quick ascension right like obviously ease him in early and see how he handles it. He hasn't really pitched in advanced levels yet, so that'll be the key, and the control will be the thing. But, man, the stuff's there to really uh, show out really quickly. And and we saw with the Astros how just have it stockpiling guys that throw in the upper 90s and with a good slider, that can work out really well. So. Yeah, I mean, he has a slider now that he is commanding, and it's, it's a slider that almost plays like a cutter. It's one of those, like, real tight sort of things. But he's throwing it in the low 90s, like a low 90 slider that's <laughs> sort of insane to think about yeah. that and uh he is doing that at least somewhat being able to command it and if you can command those two pitches that he has which goes along with his 102 103 mile an hour straight up fastball if you could command those two pitches um you can dominate one time through the order no problem yeah. like yeah. that's just yeah so the the tree the key is the command i have to offer a correction um, 
uh, it, as it turns out, we are tied for the team with the most Garas, technically speaking. Um, Dielos Guerra currently plays for the Oakland Athletics, and Mike Guerra previously played for the Philadelphia Athletics. Oh, so if we're okay. if if we are maintaining continuity of of names, then yes, the, the Athletics have also had two Garas in their history. <laughs> They've also been around for like a hundred more years. So. <laughs> yes, they have. <laughs> okay. Well, facts are important. As I told Ryan earlier, accuracy, we strive for accuracy. So thank you for that correction. Sure. Um, all right. That'll actually do it for Patreon questions this week. Uh, kind of quick and tidy here. But as always, too, when you sign up to become a patron, you also get a shout out on this program. So uh, Ryan, looks like we've got a couple here to, to say thank you to. Yeah, so we have a brand new patron, and that is uh, Kirky Rogers. Welcome to the fold here, and thank you for uh, for Ooh. jumping in. And then also want to shout out Brad Westness, who is a longtime follower and, uh, uh, I guess, communicator on Twitter. I've talked to him a lot. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. he has upped his from $2 to $5, so now he'll get the minor league extra. So And, uh, and Paul's mini pods for the Packers as well. Yep. So thank you to both of you for doing that. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you guys. And before we go again this week, I'd like to again ask you to leave a review and a rating for this podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Reminder, Paul reads anything you write in the review as long as you give us five stars. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button, whether you are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever else you are listening to us. Uh, we would like to give a big thanks for listening this week, and we'll probably be taking the next week off due to Thanksgiving travel. Just a heads up on that. But we will be back soon on Milwaukee's tailgate, and we promise we'll pull together an emergency pod if the Brewers do something crazy over Thanksgiving, as they have tended to do sometimes. So if that's the case, we'll we'll gather up somewhere and, and get you guys a quick pod for that. But in the meantime, hope you all have a great and happy Thanksgiving. And... Uh, we'll see you next time here.